The first slide you see up, and this is going to be an interactive service this morning, I want you to read with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 6, 23. The next one says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then there's another. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes on the Lord will be saved. Amen. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now a final. But God demonstrates his own love for us in these. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now, that's a sermon right there. You could go home on that knowing that you're a sinner. But you will also know that God has prepared a way for you. So it's no coincidence that this series begins on Reformation Sunday, where we are reminded of the journey of Martin Luther, who entered his monastic order at the age of 22. Good works and sacrament of penance were supposed to suffice for the young friar's need to be justified before God, but they didn't. Luther had an overwhelming sense of his own sin. Moreover, it became so bad that he felt sin had sway over him in everything that he did. It is mistaken to suppose that he was not a good monk because he was, or that his life was licentious or immoral because it wasn't. On the contrary, he sought to obey his monastic vows to the fullest. He would repeatedly punish his own body, recommended by his teachers. And then he went on to confess as often as possible. Such practices did not relieve Luther of his fear of damnation in hell. If sins had to be confessed to be forgiven, there was always some possibility that he might forget one. And then lose his reward. Then he was told by a great mystic teacher that all that was necessary was to love God. But soon, he found that that path took him to a blind alley. Luther became terrified that God didn't love him. And his love for God became hatred for God. Finally, finally, somehow, some way, he heard the words that eternal life could be earned only by believing on Jesus Christ and his death for him. Christ became his savior, and you've heard the story of the 99 Thesis on the Wall. And we have now a reformed way of thinking about our relationship with Christ. 
kind of think for each of us, at some point, there comes a time when um, we are like Luther. And I was about a young 16 years old when that happened to me for the first time. Um, I hadn't been alive long enough to do too much damage, but I had done enough. But for each of us, there comes a time that we look ourselves in the mirror. And then while we look ourselves in the mirror, we look ourselves in the eye and determine that no matter how hard I try, I just can't get life right. Some of us, I failed my family. I've let them down. I failed my friends. They're not pleased with us. I failed in school. I failed in my academic achievements. I failed in my career. I failed my parents. And if we constantly are criticized this way and we criticize ourselves, we develop a spirit that's not so good. We try to be perfect sometimes. Never making a mistake, knowing all too well, if you're like me, that we're lying to ourselves if we say that. The scripture says that. If we say we do not sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. I remember hearing somewhere as a child at the age, about 12, that the age of 12 was the accountability for your own sins. Now, you can imagine I was terrified. I must have been about 11, and every once in a while I would think as 12 was coming, uh uh-oh. I remember two weeks before my 12th birthday um, that I thought and then purposely made myself forget about this. Now, you got to understand I'm from a large family, and I slept in a bunk bed with one of my younger sisters who slept on top, and I slept on the bottom, and that was because she wanted to be on the ladder and then jump up and down over my head and irritate me as a young teenager. So I believe this. The day, the evening of my 12th birthday, I gathered all my presents and took them to my room. My prize gift for that birthday was a bottle of perfume from a company that I know you know about. But it looked like a soda bottle. And it had a straw in it. If you took the top off, you could spray the perfume. I got that, and then I got a Bonnie Bell lip gloss. I got a transistor radio. And probably something practical like socks and underwear. I was thrilled. Minutes later, on my way back to my room, I could smell that perfume reeking throughout the house. I turned the corner of my room, and there she was, my preschool-age sister, smelling to high heaven after dousing herself with my perfume and had my Bonnie Bell psychedelic lip gloss all over her mouth. I knew that would be my first sin, was to kill my little sister. (laughs) As I lay down that night, I started to put hashtags on all the sins that had happened that day. And by the time I got to 10, I realized I was going to hell really quickly. And then I went and talked to my dad and to the lady downstairs who I found out later was a Christian. And they told me that wasn't true. Now, as silly as that story is, We do the same things, don't we, to ourselves. We run from God, fearing that all the things we've done that nobody else knows but me and him will count against us. And then we act like Luther. We flagellate ourselves mentally and physically trying to rid ourselves of the sin, trying to tell God, I'll never, never do it again. 
only to turn around and do it again. <laughs> we rehearse harm and we, reflect, we inflict harm on others. And if you haven't already, you will do it. And unfortunately, moms and dads, those sweet little kids we saw up here, they're going to do stuff. And it's going to disappoint us and it's going to disappoint them. As we grow older, we participate in acts that if you ask us, we would never imagine we would have gone near. I know that's true for me. But because of momentary enjoyment, we throw caution to the wind and live in the moment. Because that's what society tells us to do. We look deep in ourselves and we are full of despair. Sounds hopeless, doesn't it? I'm painting a hopeless picture. And if it doesn't, and if it does mean that you are a sinner. If you get this, if you understand this about your life, if you're there, and something might be going on in your life right now and you're without Christ. That means you'll get it. You are a sinner who is in need of the redemptive grace of Christ. You are a sinner who needs to believe that there is hope for him or her because there is a savior who before the foundations of the earth before we were born, provided a remedy for our sin through his death on the cross. You are a sinner who, believing the verses that we read together before, at the start of our time together, that God has provided a way out, a way of salvation, through the death of his only son, forgives us. And when we ask, he then brings us into a right relationship with him. We're justified. What does justified mean? It means to get right. It means to change, to turn from the ways that you are living in, the sins that you know you've committed, the lie you just told. And at each time, God gives us an opportunity to be saved, to repent. But first, salvation is needed. A collective decision by you, yourself, and yourself that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved. If you get that, if you've got that, then you're right with Jesus. There's no other way under heaven and earth that men can be saved except through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The next slide you'll see are two more verses, and I want you to read that. So if you get that, you know you're a sinner, you know you're in need of salvation, this is how God brings you into his kingdom. The verse should say, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Go ahead, finish. Amen. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Then it goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love for us. In these, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? I don't know about you, but another thing I was afraid of was hell. Scared me. 
couldn't understand why at every sermon when I listened to my pastor, I would shudder. And at 16 years old, I'd heard the gospel. I creeped into a church in the inner city of Chicago that was inhabited and multicultural and multiracial in Inglewood, one of those communities you hear about on the news. And as I moved forward, I heard all you need to do is trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, what I didn't know was that they were having communion, and the full loaf of bread was there and two cups, and everybody drank out of the same cup, which I thought was gross then. But that's the way they did communion. And I would come back the next week, and my brother and sister, that same little sister who was reeking in my perfume, attended Sunday school there. And my mom was the type, we went to a missionary Baptist church, but if you couldn't get there, then you went to the closest church around your house. So I went to pick them up, and every week I'd look at the Sunday school papers. I'd listen to the songs they were singing, and they would sing, We're going to a mansion on Happy Day Express. The letters on the engine are J-E-S-U-S. The guard calls all for heaven. We gladly answer, yes, we're going to a mansion on the Happy Day Express. I am like, what are they telling these kids? (laughs) I walked around the corner week after week, picking them up, hearing a little bit of the gospel. What I didn't know is the elders saw me. They would wait until I came in, and I would come deeper and deeper into the building because I was curious. You see, I was disillusioned. I was a relatively bright kid at 14 or 15, and Martin Luther King had just been killed, and everybody I knew in the hope for the country, we thought, what's going to happen to our community? And this community was still integrated. And I wanted to know, God, what's going to happen? I mean, the hope for us as a community of people is going to change now. And I don't know if racism will continue. And I don't know about my life. And I don't know where I live. And the questions came and came and came. But every Sunday, I'd pick up those kids with their Sunday school papers, read them on the way home, sit with them, help them color, and make them tell me, what did your Sunday school teacher say today? And they would tell me while they were coloring. Eventually, I moved up into the back of the sanctuary and sat in the back seat. And as I told you, I watched them take communion. I watched them take collection. And I knew what this was like because I was church, but I had never heard the word of God preached so clearly. And maybe I did. Maybe I just wasn't ready to hear it. But at this time in my young life, I needed to hear something. Remember, I started tallying on the wall when I was 12. I stopped tallying. By then... The little lies I told, the little things I did with my friends and what have you, began for what would seem easy to you, hard for a 14 or 15-year-old. I am a sinner. And then finally I heard those verses. And the reason I made us read them together is because the word of God is powerful all by itself. It doesn't need any additions. It doesn't need any help from us. It cuts asunder because that's all they ever said to me. They saw me come every week said hello, gave me my sister and brother's papers, and I sat week after week, moved closer into the sermon. Then finally, a verse came up. It said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I don't know about you, but I used to clean the bathroom. 
And I went home probably that next day, hadn't done my chores from Saturday. And it was at the bathtub, reaching over the side with the sponge and the brush and the Ajax foaming cleanser probably, and was cleaning that bathtub. And then the verse came to us. God, if you really mean what you say, if you really can keep me and help me not to sin, then I want to believe that. I want to trust that you are powerful and you are able to save. And so began my life with Jesus. I didn't understand all things. It took years and years to get rooted and grounded, but I wanted to. And eventually I went in and sat down in the service. And then by the next year I was teaching Sunday school. And the next year after that and after that. And I grew in the word of God. And then I got to college and I backslid again. Because they were telling us something else. This is not the only way. I know if you went to college, you heard it. Especially in the 60s and 70s. God is dead. God is silent. He doesn't hear you. And as you take in the words of philosophers, you begin to question. But that was good for me. Questioning sent me back to those elders to ask questions. Why do people believe what this person's saying? Why do they do this? Kept me in church as a college student. And eventually, I felt rooted and grounded in my faith. So if you get it the first time, and you've searched and you've received Christ, now you've got it. Now that you're saved, it doesn't mean that you have your fire insurance and you sit back and you wait for Jesus to come. Some of us do that. We feel comfortable in our faith. We belong to a wonderful church. We do good things. We pay our taxes. We don't kick the dog. We're good to our wives and husbands. We're good to our children. We provide a good education. We do all the things that society says we're supposed to do. But do you think that that's the reason that you were saved? No, it said before the foundations of the earth, God predestined you and me for a work to do. So we get salvation. We got what the word of God says to us and then we go. That's what God commands us to do. If you're anything like me, I can get busy doing things, doing service for Jesus But I began to put some thought behind the fact, what would Jesus really do? What has he called me to live? How has he called me to live with my brothers and sisters? What has he called me to do? And in Micah 6, we know he says to love mercy. Look for kindness and do justice to those people. And we are in a world and a day and age where it needs us. The world needs us. We shouldn't shriek and say, oh, God, what's going on? Because we have power. Do you realize that when you got saved, God imbued you with the power of his Holy Spirit? And that the expectation is not to sit and twiddle your thumbs. The expectation is get out there and live in the world. We are his righteousness. Create in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world to do good works. So you've heard the gospel. And I never do this, but how many of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior? How many of you are thinking about it? I won't ask you to put your hands up. But it's important that you understand the relationship with Christ. That we don't come every Sunday to fill you with the wonderful stories that we do. 
And we don't come every Sunday, but it's so that you can have eternal life. So that you can live a life rich for Jesus. And then so you can tell other people about what's happened to you. The song, I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That's the gospel. What the anthems the choir sings beautifully every week, if you listen, sometimes they have a theme. And they all share parts of the gospel. Justification, sanctification, glorification, redemption, revelation, justification. I would charge you that you know what the gospel is. But let me tell you what the gospel is not. It's not believing a few things about Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus never taught that. The early church never believed that. Any gospel that only has this as its message is missing something. It's missing why Jesus came and what we are called to. What the gospel is not is Jesus' invitation over and over again to accept him. One time is good. Death and surrender are part of life. We lose people. We wonder sometimes and we're not sure whether they're saved. About a week ago, I have a girlfriend whose husband had been a staunch Muslim for all his life. But she'd accepted Christ through me and another friend. And for years and years and years, she tried to talk to her husband about salvation. And he just would not listen. And he was dying of cancer. Stopped taking his medication. We knew that any moment he would pass away. And he did last week. But God, who is rich in glory, his twin brother got his pastor came to the hospital and for about the hundredth time shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And the last words on his lip before he died were, Amen. God's power is able to save to the uttermost. Many times I've spent times on Sunday mornings with my husband at Cook County Jail. And there are men there for all kinds of reasons. And there are men there that are innocent. And I would sing and Steve would preach and each time he would share the gospel, men would stand, the whole place would stand up. Because we didn't have to convince them. They knew, even if they were innocent, that some set of circumstances had brought them to a place where they needed Christ as their Savior. Now, a lot of people call it jailhouse religion. That's not ours to judge. We don't know what God is doing in the life of anyone else. But some of those men have gone on to be pastors. Some of them are pastors in state institutions. Some of them are pastors in federal institutions sharing the gospel with their friends. Others of them have come out, married, started families because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God is able to change people. It changed my friend's husband at the last minute. Doesn't matter when it happens. It changes inmates. It changes 16-year-old kids and it changes 7-year-olds and preschool sisters as well. So today we got we get it, we got it, and now we're going to serve. The final set of verses are these. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Ha. Did you hear that? He's not counting or tallying our sins like I was on that wall against us. But he's committed us to reconciliation. So that means that every time you walk out the door, every place you are, in the line at the airport like I was this week, in the grocery store, when there's opportunity, you have a message people need to hear. And I know the world teaches us to mind our own business, but I don't know about you, there's always an opportunity. I am one of those people who my kids never had to get spanked much because I could just look at them and they would stop. I got to look. And many times, and some of you have heard this already, that I'd be in the grocery store and some kid would be having a meltdown, flailing himself out of the cart over to the side because he wants whatever they put right there for him to get. And the kid would twist and turn, and all of a sudden, he catch my eye, and I go, stop it. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, guess what? They stopped. It wasn't a look of evil, like, who is this scary lady telling me what to do? It was like, you and I know what's going on here, right? And it's the same way with our sin. As I would watch that child, the mother would go, I don't know why he's doing it. And then she would just about have a breakdown with the kid. And I would go, you know what? You're the parent. Don't be afraid. They're not supposed to be your friend right now. And then eventually, somehow, the conversation would lead to the gospel. How do you know these things, ma'am? Well, then there's an opportunity to witness. In airports, a lot of you spend a lot of time in airports. You're executives. I know that. There's always an opportunity to talk about what you heard in church on Sunday with a person because they'll ask you how you're doing. Don't, that's not a trite ask. Say, well, and they never expect this. Let me tell you how I'm doing. The gospel is to be shared. You have within you as a believer a ministry of reconciliation that the world needs to hear. And so with that... I want to say to you that I was a Christian for almost 20 years after I really did get saved before I understood something very, very serious about salvation. And I want to share this with you because I don't want you to walk around like me. I knew that I was saved. I knew the gospel. I knew that I should be telling someone, but I didn't really grasp that God is not holding our sin against us. Because sometimes in my mind, I would do something and feel guilty all over again, confess it, go back. And finally, I got the verse that said that he's given us, he's no longer holding our sins against us. And when you get that, that gives you power, that gives you trajectory to share the gospel. That gives you freedom to preach Jesus the the way you've never had before. Because people are looking for freedom. People want to know that their sins are not being held against them. That freedom frees us up to live in the world the way we should as Christians. Free from condemnation of sin, free to grow in God's word, free to set captives free. Free to boldly pursue justice in the world, to teach truth that sets those in bondage free. To love mercy, to walk into the incarnational work that God has given us. To go, to be gone doing the work of the Father until he returns for us. Do you get it? Do you get it? So get right. 
get free. If you got it, you have freedom through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then now I'm challenging you to be gone, to share his redemptive work in this world. And I'm done. But what I want to say to you is while this was a simple message and it was simple intentionally, some of you, I hope, have begun to think about trusting Christ as your Savior. And some of you may have trusted Christ as your Savior. Don't leave here without letting us know. Don't leave here without us celebrating the fact that you are a part of the body. And so there will be folks around out in the commons after we leave here today to take you on a further journey with Jesus Christ. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. And if you're not, guys, don't leave here today. I'll be out there. I'll stay here. You can come to my office. You can come to Rick's office. And he will hear, he will hear your, your sins. We will talk to you about how to confess them. And then we want you in a right relation with God. So get right.